This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec. The place to stay updated and educated. Hello and welcome to Tech Guide, episode 357. Great to have you with us once again. My name is Stephen Fennec. I'm the editor of techguide.com.au. On this week's show, DJI has released a paper on increasing drone safety, and we speak with Head of Communications, Adam Lisberg. How to teach your kids financial literacy with the new Zap digital wallet. And Huawei doubles down on customer service with a special partnership. In the Tech Guide reviews, we're going to check out the Hisense Series 8 75-inch ULED TV. We'll also take a look at the Samsung Space Monitor. And Oppo launches the mid-tier Reno Z smartphone. And we'll wrap things up with the Tech Guide help desk. And it's all brought to you by Netgear, the company that keeps you connected and Norton, the company that keeps you protected. Well, drones are more popular than ever. The technology is improving remarkably, and we're now seeing drones are no longer just seen as flying cameras to shoot some amazing videos and pictures. There are a lot other, a lot, lot more uses. Uh, that we're seeing with drones, they're becoming part of our everyday lives. From There's been talk of drone deliveries and uh, drones delivering transplant organs. And uh, recently, drones were used to help the Parisian firefighters control the blaze at Notre Dame. They were also used recently to map the radiation at Chernobyl, where obviously humans can't go anywhere near there for, for, the, for the time. And uh, around the world, they've saved more than 230 lives in emergency situations. And the thing about the drone industry is that it's obviously uh, it's gone a long way in a short time. Uh, and one thing that it has also is a very strong safety record. The regulations are quite clear. Uh, and, and all points of the industry, from the drone manufacturers to the pilots and all the regulators, They've all worked together and cooperated to to come up with this this uh, admirable safety record. DJI is uh, not only the world's biggest drone manufacturer and the most popular as well, but they're also being quite proactive in building in these safety features in their drones. Uh, they've and this is on their own, off their own bat. They haven't had any coercion from any government actions or any legal requirements. They've included things like geofencing to restrict flights near airports and other sensitive areas. There's also uh, altitude limits and things like optical optical sensing. And also, they invented return to home. Any drone pilot listening now. That return to home button is remarkable because if your drone loses connection with your controller or if you just want it to return exactly from the point where it took off, there's this one button they press and that's something that DJI has created. Now, Adam Lisberg from DJI, he's the head of their corporate communications, was in Australia. Uh, he's here to attend 
a, a conference in Canberra uh, around drone safety. It's like a, an annual conference that's held here, uh, and G, DJI have, in in the lead-up to the conference, have released a, a paper called Elevating Safety, and in it, they've also outlined 10 points of safety that they're going to suggest uh, and also maybe include in the next drones that they produce from 2020. I caught up with Adam Lisberg uh, for this interview. Adam, thank you for joining me on the Tech Guide podcast. You're uh, from DJI. You're in Australia for a conference next week all about safety. Safety a very important thing for drones. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. Really glad to be here. You, we're going to talk about safety. That's obviously a very important issue for drones and it's it's not uh, we've we've come to a point now where drones aren't just uh, a flying camera anymore to take pretty pictures. They've become quite an essential part in a lot of industries. Uh, they've they've come a long way, and, and as Australians, we've actually adopted them pretty quickly as well, haven't we? Yes, you have, and it's I think it's a consequence of having a fairly forward-looking uh, regulatory policy coming from CASA, is that the easier you make it for people to use drones in a responsible way for professional purposes, the more people will do that, and the more everyone benefits from it. You know, you know, the conventional phrase about drones in professional contexts is they're great for jobs that are dirty, dull, or dangerous. So inspecting the underside of a bridge without having to take out a lane of traffic or put a human hanging from a bridge, uh, doing a construction site survey in an hour instead of a week, tasks like that, uh, or uh, my personal favorite, which is uh, tower inspectors. People have to climb to the top of cell towers to make sure that the, the rivets aren't falling out of the wires. Uh, if you can do that inspection by sending up a drone instead of a human, you're having a real benefit to human life. So when you make it, I think the Australian lesson is, when you make it reasonable for people to learn how to fly these drones in professional contexts, um, you fly them in a responsible manner, register them, um, give the government the assurances that it needs that drones are being flown safely. When you provide that, the whole society benefits. Mm-hmm. And of course, in Australia, we uh, come summertime, we, we even use them to spot sharks at our beaches. So they've gone well beyond the, uh, the, 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 even the uses you've mentioned and, and the ones that we've adopted here in Australia. But tell us, like, where are we heading with safety? I, I know there are some pretty, uh, some restrictions in place, obviously, and CASA has been quite, uh, proactive in, in establishing the rules. And I myself, I, I'm a professional, I've got my license and, uh, and I was surprised at how much you needed to know to fly a drone safely, but are the rules being relaxed a little bit? Do, 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 the, do the regulators recognise that, that there needs to be a little bit more flexibility? Yeah, I think the story that you're seeing both in Australia and around the world is that, generally speaking, regulators understand that people want to do the right thing, and the key is to make sure that they're educated enough to do it, um, to have rules that are reasonable but not overly restrictive, because if you have a system that's extremely hard to follow, people simply won't. I mean, I'm sure every drone operator out there, everyone who's listening who's flown a drone, has a friend who's done something stupid with a drone. And, you know, without thinking about it uh, or without worrying too much about it. And probably not, just not realizing either the consequences or the potential risks of something happening to them if they get caught flying improperly. So we believe that uh, governments need to have... Uh, education systems that that make sure that drones are that people understand how to fly drones, understand how to um, read the maps and learn where and where they should and should not fly. 
Um, at DJI, we've included what we call our knowledge quiz in drones, that when you fly a drone for the first time and you load the app onto your phone or your tablet, you have to answer a series of basic safety questions successfully before you can take off. Um, and this is uh, you know, this is one of many safety technologies that DJI has actually spent a lot of time and money in, uh, coming up with and putting into our drones without any government mandate to do so, but we just think it's the right thing. Um, and when you look at the results, um, look, anytime if someone does something stupid with a drone anywhere in the world, you will probably hear about it sooner or later. You can't say that about a car. People do stupid things with the cars all around you all the time, and people just accept that as the price of having cars. Uh, drones are still an, enough of a novel technology that one stupid person doing one stupid thing. But but you, that, that is literally the exception that proves the rule, that if, if someone does something stupid with a drone in France and you hear about it, um, it, it means that there's probably a lot of people flying quite safely, and you never hear about it elsewhere. But moving forward, we're talking, there's talk of uh, drone deliveries and drones being used to deliver uh, transplant parts and, and things like that. So um, it, it, these are becoming, the, the drones are becoming much more part of our lives and, and even moving forward even more so. Absolutely. You know, we love hearing these stories. Um, uh, you know, we uh, played a big role in making the first ready-to-fly popular drones around the world, and we're blown away all the time. We're always sending messages to each other within DJI. Hey, look at this story. Look at what this guy is doing. Have you figured that out? So, yeah, it ranges from, uh, you know, saving lives on beaches, spotting sharks or dropping life preservers uh, to people. I don't know if you remember that story from a couple of years ago, to um, conservation efforts that w one of the – most dangerous uh, tasks for wildlife biologists, it turns out, is flying in helicopters at low altitudes trying to, you know, uh, study the, the, the canopies of forests or mm -hmm. other things at low altitudes like that. Suddenly, you can gather a lot of this data uh, much more safely. Um, the, the, the possibilities are really limitless. And some of them are, you know, directly beneficial, like being able to deliver an organ or medical supplies or vaccines faster and safer, especially in very remote areas. Um, and, you know, plenty of other benefits are, are just fun. They're, you know, some of the first two people to adopt drones for their work were filmmakers and photographers. And you can't tell me there's no societal benefit in being able to see things in an entirely new and breathtaking way. And, of course, DJI is a market leader in not only in just sheer sales numbers but also in the, in the safety, in, in the whole safety side of the drones. And you guys are in Australia for a conference in, in, uh, that's being held in Canberra. So tell us what you're going to be doing down there. Yeah, we're, uh, this is the annual, um, basically the Australian drone industry is gathering in Canberra next week to uh, talk about the, uh, what's been done and, and the agenda for the years ahead. Um, and we're going to be there talking about a report that we put out called Elevating Safety, mm -hmm. where we lay out a 10-point plan based on our studies of drone incidents around the world for how to ensure that drones remain a safe addition to the airspace. You know, as I was saying, drones do have a very safe uh, record in the skies, despite stories that you may have read about uh, people claiming that they had a near miss with a drone and air, uh, an airplane, something like that. Mm -hmm. um, but, it, you know, we recognize that, sure, the, the concern is real, the risk is real, um, and that's why DJI has always led the industry in developing technology, w w not because the government requires it, but because we think it's the right thing to do. So, so for example, our geofencing system that automatically keeps your drone from taking off too close to an airport or mm -hmm. flying into a temporary flight restriction, 
um, or it's it, this is uh, something we've been working on for years. We were also the first drone maker to come up with the automatic altitude limits, mm-hmm. to come up with an automatic return to home system. If your drone loses connection mm-hmm. with the controller in your hand, it will return to the place it took off from. Also, if a battery reaches a critically low level, mm-hmm. so we and and this is one of the reasons I think DJ has some credibility to, to talk about what are the best safety, what what are the best approaches going forward to safety that we believe that technology and education go hand in hand and can have a much broader impact over time than simply coming up with uh, harsh new regulations. Most people want to fly safely. Most people do fly safely. Let's give them the tools to help them do that. Let's help them understand the rules, help them understand the aviation requirements so that they can continue to fly safely. Uh, just finally, would you care to maybe talk about a couple of things you're going to be uh, unveiling at the at the conference, just to give us maybe the top two or three things you're going to be talking about? Yes, absolutely. So we're going to be talking about our report that we put out called Elevating Safety. Uh, you can read about DJI's safety plans and, and read our report in particular by going to dji.com slash flysafe. And in our report, we lay out a 10-point plan for what DJI, as well as our uh, other drone companies should do, as well as what government officials, government regulators around the world ought to do to ensure the skies remain safe. And that's things like we're starting to require remote identification for drones, um, coming up with easy-to-understand guides to what areas are, simple, are very much off-limits and giving local authorities uh, the, the power they need to be able to take action if they think a drone is seriously uh, uh, about to cause some sort of imminent uh, harm. But this is all based on studies that DJI has done analyzing reports of drone incidents. We found that most of – if you ask a member of the general public, what do you think about drones? Are drones safe or unsafe? they'll often default to saying, well, it's going to appear in my windows or it's going to take down an airliner. Mm-hmm. And uh, people hear of, uh, you know, you see stories all the time about a, an airplane pilot says they were flying at 9,000 feet and they saw and they saw a red striped drone off to the right side just 30 feet from the wing, yeah. which you have to, if you know anything about drones, uh, it, it, it's extremely unlikely that you're going to spot something at night. It's extremely unlikely someone's going to fly a drone at 9,000 feet. Yeah, it's probably a UFO at 9,000 right, yeah. feet. Well, it's funny that you mention that because as part of our research in this paper, the number of reported UFO, uh, UFO sightings has gone down as the number of drone sightings ah, has gone up. Go. So, it, you know, and look, I'm sure when, a, when an airplane pilot reports something like this, they're – they, they do it with the best of intentions, but what 20 years ago they would have said as an odd-colored bird or a weather balloon or a plastic bag, now their mind defaults to drones because uh, perhaps that's what they're most scared of. So we went through and we analyzed a lot of these reports from around the world, whether it was um, – we, we looked at ATSB reports, we looked at FAA reports in America and uh, in the U.K. and in Europe, almost all – uh, of the reports that you see of drones uh, allegedly endangering aircraft are not supported by the facts. In many cases, they're reports that are clearly disproven by later investigation. So when you take out the hype, when you take out the fear, you have a technology that, while new, is has been proven to be very safe, very beneficial to society, and one that, that can be that has been and can continue to be safely integrated into the airspace. We want to make sure that that safe integration continues. And we think that it's very smart of agencies like CASA to to regulate and to legislate based on uh, an even-handed study of safety factors, safety risks, safety experience, 
um, and make sure that everyone can continue to benefit from this amazing technology. Adam, we really appreciate your time and enjoy your time here in Australia. I am already. Thanks very much. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec. All right. Who remembers as a child receiving pocket money or often called in the US, they call it an, an allowance. You, got your, you get your allowance. So we used to call it our pocket money. You get money every week or however often you, you do, do your chores around your house or you get a little bit of pocket money, a little bit of spending money uh, to use. Now, in today's society, uh, a lot of young teens and tweens probably uh, they're growing up in a, obviously a digital environment where cash is not as not as prevalent as it used to be. People they're seeing their parents tap and go and use credit cards and all sorts of things, and cash is uh, is, is slowly I think fading away. We're becoming more of a cashless society, uh, and. The one thing, though, that that, that could be uh, at at, uh, at risk here is trying to teach your child financial literacy. How do you do that without the the money in your hands? How do you teach a child how to spend their money wisely uh, when it's all noughts and zeros uh, in, with digital cash? Well, uh, a company called Zenith Payments has come up with an idea. It's called Zap, Z-A-A-P, and it's a digital wallet aimed at the young digital savvy generation, and it is uh, run through MasterCard, and basically what it allows you, you to do as a parent is set up an account for your child, and they receive a card. And they can also receive a wristband, so they can use that as a as a tap and go, or they can have their card if they want to use uh, makes a purchase online. And so, what it basically is is there. It's rather than giving them cash in hand, it's a little digital wallet. There's also a companion app that runs with it as well. So the app allows the child to view their transactions, to see their balance, and to do things like set up savings goals and and just reinforce those positive financial behaviours. The parent, of course, can also access access that as well. And whenever they need to top up the wallet, they can do that instantly from their account. So they can put funds in there to spend in-store or online and the wristband, which is available in three colours, blue, black and pink, uh, the wristband contains a little, what looks like a little SIM card, so that, that's kind of your tap and go, similar to a tap and go card. There's also a credit card that comes with it or a card that comes with it. It's, it's prepaid and there's a limit, of course. If there's only $100 in the account, that's all your child will be able to spend. And the card, you can even, uh, the child can design it themselves from up more than 50 de- uh, pr- designs or they can just create their own design on the card as well. There's also if you don't if they if they're already if they already own a watch or a fit Fitbit, there's also a little a little band a little strap that goes on their existing wearable, so that you can slip the uh, the tap and go chip in there if you rather than having to wear the the bracelet. So it 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 not only offers convenience for them to uh, spend their money, but also the parent can monitor it through the app. 
the child can look at what they're spending and see, righto, oh, if I want to save up for this, this I need this amount of money, so they can check their balances and things like that. And, and of course, there are some safeguards. The, through the merchant facility of the card, uh, the card can't be spent, can't be used in certain places, uh, places like uh, gambling, gambling sites, dating sites, liquor stores, pubs and clubs and places like that, uh, the card won't work because at the merchant level, they've actually blocked that so that if they're thinking of heading down to the pub or going down to the liquor store, uh, the, the, the card will not work in those areas. So the account's blocked at that merchant level. But it's really interesting uh, how we've come to this virtually cashless society. How many of you probably listening right now uh, always using your, your either your device to pay for things or just tapping with your card? You know, not many of you carry cash. I'd be interested to hear, actually, if you want to uh, hit me up on Twitter, at Stephen Fennigan. Tell me if you're a, you're a cash user or not. Hashtag Tech Guide Podcast. Let me know if you're a cash user. I'll be really curious to find that out. But in the meantime, if you have a child, uh, this is aimed for, for children between 8 and 17. I don't think a 17-year-old would uh, be happy you referring to them as a child. But anyway, that's the age limit they've set here. And uh, you can you can order Zap from the website, zap.com.au. I've got all the details on Tech Guide. Uh, and it's uh, $9.95. And that gets you the chip and the band and everything so you can use to tap and the card to pay in stores. The whole lot is right there. But I think a great introduction to teaching your child really good financial habits, so making them literate in the financial sense, uh, will keep them in good stead later in life. If you want to read more about that story, you can check it out at techguide.com.au. Now, Huawei made an announcement last week. They've partnered with HappyTel. Uh, they are a mobile phone and tablet repairer with 56 locations across Australia. Uh, they've partnered with them so that they can provide customer service nationally. So uh, I have had a few people asking, you know, that they're looking at the Huawei devices, really interested in buying them, but they often ask me too, what do I do? Where do I take it if something goes wrong? Like if people already know if they've got a Samsung device, they can go to a Samsung store or the resellers, that, or if they've got an Apple device, an iPhone, they can take it to an Apple store and problem solved. They've got peace of mind. Uh, well, now Huawei offers that same peace of mind uh, because of this partnership with HappyTel. Now, HappyTel are those repairers that you've probably seen in many uh, supermarkets and shopping malls, uh, and they, they have those kiosks in, in, the, in the shopping centres, I should say, not shopping supermarkets, in the shopping centres and, and malls, they have these little kiosks where people get their screens repaired and uh, buy cases and tablet repairs and things like that. So, what they've agreed to do, uh, Huawei's agreed to, uh, HappyTel and Huawei have uh, decided to partner, and now Huawei will use the HappyTel kiosks as collection points. So say, for example, you, you, you've got a P30 Pro and you smash the screen. Uh, 
you can take it then to a Happy Tell kiosk and they will send it to one of two facilities that service all of the, the, the whole country. So they'll, they'll take it, the, the screen will get repaired, it'll be sent back to that particular kiosk and then you get your device back. So it, it is one of those ways where you, you think of how far Huawei has come. Uh, they're, they're obviously selling a lot of product. In fact, the, the P30 Pro has set sales records. They've said that they said that within the first 82 days, the i the P3 30 Pro sold its first 10 million units. That's just 82 days after launch. That's 62 days less than it took the P20 Pro to hit the same number. So they've had quite a year. They're, they're now number two in the world in terms of smartphone manufacturers. So they've got a lot of customers. And now with this Happy Tell partnership and all these, there's 56 collection points around the country. Uh, and as I said, located in those busy shopping centres, uh, then now, now they can service any of their customers' needs uh, should they require it. So customer service, Huawei is doubling down on that customer service with those 56 collection points and two centres to provide the repairs and service for customers around the country. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, Huawei also just recently released the P30 Lite. The P30 Pro was obviously very successful, but this is a, the more affordable device in the P30 family. It's only $499, so that's pretty cool as well. You want to hear more about HappyTel and their partnership with Huawei, you can head over to techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly supported by Netgear. They're Australia's number one Wi-Fi brand. Now, you upgrade your smartphone and your TV and your laptop, but when was the last time you upgraded your home Wi-Fi? It's probably been a while. Well, the future of Wi-Fi has arrived. It's time to welcome Wi-Fi 6. If you watch your shows on services like Netflix, you need the newest line of high-performance routers from Netgear. It'd be like giving your streaming the VIP treatment. The Netgear Nighthawk Wi-Fi 6 routers give you ultra-fast speeds and wider coverage throughout your home. You get four times the capacity compared to today's Wi-Fi, which means you can connect more devices and stream simultaneously without impacting Wi-Fi speed and reliability. The devices of today and tomorrow demand more. So what you need is high-performance Wi-Fi that can keep up with you and your entire family. It's the biggest revolution in Wi-Fi ever, and you can be one of the first to have the next generation of Wi-Fi 6 technology with a Netgear Nighthawk router. Turn your Wi-Fi up to 6 with a Nighthawk Wi-Fi 6 router. Go check it out today at netgear.com slash Wi-Fi 6. That's netgear.com slash Wi-Fi and the number 6. And now, a Tech Guide review with Stephen Fennec. Right, we're going to kick off the reviews this week with the the high sense, I should say, the high sense seventy five inch series eight TV, seventy five inch TV. This is this is a big television. It's the seventy five R eight is the model number, series eight seventy five inch television, and I've got to say. This is a very impressive television. Now, I often get asked by people, they, they, they look at Hisense, they see the price, they see the picture quality, and because they're not one of those big four brands that they know, they, they, it's not Sony, it's not Samsung, it's not LG, it's not Panasonic, they see Hisense as this new, uh, this new brand, which they are. And a lot of them, they, they seek validation. They often ask me, what, what are Hisense like? Are they, are they any good? And my answer is always the same. They are the real deal. They, their TVs are fantastic. So don't don't be don't be scared to, to invest in a high sense TV because the TVs that I've seen are fantastic, uh, including this.
this one, the 75-inch Series 8. Now, at a time when there's so much good content to stream, this is a TV that can really showcase your that, that content. It's 4K, of course, ultra-high definition. Uh, it's also got Dolby Vision HDR on board. And it's also, of course, a ULED TV, which is the that's the company's quantum dot technology in use there. This is proprietary technology. And with this TV, they've got a wider color gamut. And now what they've got also is a thing called ultra-local dimming, which means they can control more zones of the backlight. And the result of that is improving the contrast and brightness uh, across all areas of the TV. So all across the screen and in real time, this is happening. Now, we, we streamed a few 4K shows on Netflix and we played a couple on disc. And I've got to say... Very impressed with the black levels. I think that's, that's also got a lot to do with that ultra-local dimming. Because if you can turn backlight off, you get a better black result. And with that ultra-local dimming, there are more zones that they can control and more better, sort of more inky black levels. Even when the black is right beside a bright color, that localized ultra, that, that dimming uh, with the backlight really comes into play and does a great job. Uh, it can display more than a billion colors. So I talked about that wider color gamut. So what I liked about it was, and you can see my pictures on Tech Guide, it really offered some really natural colors. So nice flesh tones and uh, the, the, the colors look, didn't look oversaturated and pumped up and fake. They looked actually quite genuine. So whether you're watching sport or a movie or whatever, uh, the colors were actually quite impressive. Uh, we found too that movies on disc looked slightly better. I think the result of that is is re- result of there have being a higher bitrate coming from the physical media. You know when you stream Netflix at a certain at a certain rate depending on your internet connection, the bitrate can never match physical media. Physical media always gives you more information off the disc. So the TV can make a better decision when it displays the image. And I found anyway that the images off a disc were slightly better. But that's not to say the 4K streaming off Netflix didn't look fantastic as well. It did. It looked great. Also on board here is 200 hertz smooth motion as well, the smooth motion rate. And what that does... It's, it's particularly good if you're interested in sport and watching action films and anything with a lot of movement. With that 200 hertz refresh rate, you're getting less judder. So you, you won't see the little ghost trailer or a little blur behind movement. It is pretty smooth. A great way of telling if a TV has got a good refresh rate is when you're watching sport and if you can read the signs in the background – if it's clear to read, then the motion, the, the, the hertz, the motion rate, the refresh rate is actually quite good. So if there's a player running down the touchline and you can read all the signs behind the person running downfield, then that means that the screen is refreshing uh, fast enough for you to maintain that nice clear motion, the clear picture, so you can read it all there. And the high sense didn't let us down there at all. Uh, we did. There was one couple little things that uh, that we we spotted that we didn't like. Um, it was one thing was the the viewing angle. If you're viewing at the side, the the TV. So if you if you're stuck on the side of the couch. The TV looked looked still looked okay, but not as obviously good as if you're sitting in front. There's other TVs that have a much better viewing angle uh, than this. Not that it was terrible, but it could be better. Uh, what this TV also has, uh, apart from Dolby HDR, which is high dynamic range, the TV also has Dolby Atmos. So from the television itself, if you're watching a Dolby Atmos film, whether it's on disc or on Netflix or wherever, 
the sound, you get that nice surround sound effect. And with Dolby Atmos, it sounds as if the, the, the sounds are coming from above you and behind you as well. Now, I've got to say, the Dolby Atmos was okay on the TV, not too bad. We could hear a lot of the great sound. Not as good as what we've heard coming from other televisions. There are other TV brands that have Dolby Atmos built in, and it was a, a little bit at a, at a slightly higher level than what we got with uh, with the Hisense. But not to say it wasn't, it, it wasn't bad. Uh, it was still pretty impressive. Hisense also, by the way, are now making soundbars. So if you want to pair this TV with a soundbar, you can actually pair it with a Hisense soundbar. I often recommend to my readers and listeners that if they're looking for a soundbar, it's really sensible to, to try to pair your TV brand with the soundbar brand so that it's just easy to connect. They work together better. Uh, and in this case, you can do that if you want to buy a Hisense soundbar. Not that this sounds like rubbish. The, the, the sound was actually not too bad. Uh, just the Dolby Atmos was, was good, not great. I've heard better on other TVs, but still pretty impressive. Uh, speaking of sound, there's also sports sound mode, which has been a popular feature on Hisense TV. So if you want to, uh, there is a special mode to, so you sound like you're at, it, it sounds like you're at the game. It's fantastic. The Hisense 75R8 is also running the VDAR U 3.0 operating system. This is a smart AI-driven system that makes it not only easy to navigate, but it puts all of your sources and all of your services all in one place. It's really simple to navigate. It's even smart enough to remember what you were watching last on Netflix, and you can continue watching from the home menu without even the need to go into the Netflix app. Uh, it'll show you also what's trending, what, what people are watching. Uh, and again, without even having to go into a particular app, it'll remember that. It also has, uh, after an update that's coming, you'll also be able to have uh, Amazon Alexa control as well. Uh, and you'll be able to control the TV, like control the volume, turn it on and off, change channels, things like that, just by using your voice. You don't even need to use the remote control. Another cool feature that I want to mention uh, is something that we've take, we take for granted on our other mobile devices and computers and tablets, and that's Bluetooth. The TV has Bluetooth on board because, again, I often get asked, is there a way for me to listen to the television without disturbing the household? So an ideal way in this instance is to use Bluetooth. So you can pair a pair of headphones to the television, listen to your music, your movie, whatever you're watching on the TV without disturbing the household. You can turn the volume right up and only you can hear it because you're wearing a pair of headphones. So that's pretty cool. They've got Bluetooth there. Uh, enjoy your program without waking everybody up. That's pretty nice. Or I often ask for, from some of my older readers that they don't want to turn the TV up too loud uh, because they're, they're, they're sitting a few meters away from the TV. Maybe the hearing isn't as good as it was before, and headphones, uh, again, can solve that problem. That's pretty cool. The Hisense 75R8, it's a 75-inch TV that I reviewed, and it's priced at $3,999, which for a 75-inch TV, a 2019 75-inch TV, is actually pretty decent value. Now, that's the recommended retail price. I'm sure if you shop around, you'll find that much cheaper in stores. You'll probably find that down to probably about $3,500, perhaps even lower, depending on how hard you can bargain and how far and wide you look. But... uh, 
the the high sense seventy five R eight. We were really impressed with it. Uh, it's got all the latest features, four uh, K resolution, of course, HDR, Dolby Atmos, uh, and, and it's uh, really makes all your content come to life. Whether you're watching Netflix off a disc, watching live TV, watching sport, uh, the high sense has got you covered. If you want to read our complete review, you can check that out at techguide.com.au. Right, next up we're talking the Samsung Space Monitor. Now, you probably remember when this was announced a couple of months ago, we've actually had the monitor into review. We tried it in a few different scenarios. Now, this is the monitor that can – it's called the Space Monitor because that's what it gives you. It gives you space. You can reclaim your desktop. So how, how this works, it doesn't have your traditional stand. You know, normally a monitor has quite a big base and you've got the legs spread out and it takes up half your desk space. In this instance, with the Samsung Space Monitor, the stand is actually a clamp. It's quite a tall stand, but at the base of that stand is a clamp. So it's meant to fit into the back of your desk and sit in place. And then once it's adjusted and secured, you can actually then pull it up and down to bring it closer to you, to push it further away when you're finished, push it right up against the wall to give yourself some room. Uh, so it offers that amazing convenience. Now we took a look at the 32K, uh, the 32 inch, I should say, 32 inch 4K space monitor. And as, as I said, we use it in a variety of setups. Setup number one was a desk. We clamped it on the back of the desk, uh, connected our Mac Mini to it, and it was it was fantastic. The monitor was was far enough away yet close enough. We were we were in charge of how far we wanted to use it. If we needed it close or right down on the desk to, to desk level, we could easily pull it forward and down, and then push it back up or up and away again when we finished. So uh, it does really open up a lot of space on your desktop uh, when, whenever you need that extra area to work in. The other thing we did with it, we used it on the same desk, but we clipped it, we clamped it to a very desk, you know, the uh, sit-stand desk, the very desk 36, and there's two tiers on the very desk, so we, we clamped it to the top tier, obviously up the back there, and it was, the clamp worked really well, was tight enough to hold it really securely, and we were able then to use the stand sit stand desk with the Mac mini uh, and uh, and that worked out really well whether we wanted to be sitting or standing uh, and it still had that obviously that same convenience of being able to move the monitor wherever we wanted um, and so yeah so that was very convenient as well the other scenario was using it as a as a third monitor or a second monitor I got I got my iMac and I've got two other monitors connected here uh, so we use it as a as the third monitor sitting above our iMac. So what we needed to do was to place it on a stand and then clamp it to the stand and then position it above the iMac. And the beauty of this is that it has a very tall stand to begin with. So it was very easy to get it up that high so that it's peeking over the top of the iMac. I did have to have a stand, a decent-sized stand behind it. But again, demonstrated how convenient this, this monitor was. Now, it is 4K, of course, so pretty nice resolution. Uh, everything looked pretty pretty sharp. Colours look pretty impressive as well. Uh, one thing I think it suffers, it doesn't quite have as the, the kind of brightness that other monitors offer. Uh, it, it could do better on the brightness side. Uh, in terms of, of uh, movability, you can only move the Samsung Space Monitor forward and back. You can't 
twist it or tilt it uh, to vary the angle. So if you uh, if you need to show people things, they need to be standing right in front of it. You can't angle it their way. Speaking of angling it, the viewing angle as well, which is pretty poor. So that if you're sitting to the side of the of the monitor, uh, you basically can't see anything. You got to be right in front of it in, in to to really see it properly. Uh, so that 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 that's another thing that we noticed as well. Uh, in terms of connectivity, uh, not much there either. It's only got a dis- mini Display Port and HDMI port, um, and that worked good with the Mac Mini because that's got a HDMI port on the back. With our iMac, we needed a dongle to go from USB uh, to go. From from Thunderbolt to HDMI. So that was an extra purchase that we had to make to fit it to the iMac. Worked fine with the Mac Mini because of that HDMI port as well. Uh, The cables also get out of your way as well. There's only one cable. It's a hybrid cable that's both the HDMI cable and the power cable. So you connect the power at the bottom of the cable, uh, HDMI into into your source, uh, and then the other end of the cable branches out so that it, it connects to the HDMI port and then the power as well. So you don't need to run two cables to the top, only one runs to the top, which is really smart, and it sits in, inside the back of the stand and is, and is out of your way, another way that it can reduce the clutter, which we, we quite liked as well. The, uh, the Samsung Space Monitor uh, has that 4K resolution, as I said, 60 hertz uh, refresh rate and 4 millisecond response time. If you're a gamer, that's probably not, these aren't probably the uh, specs that you'd, you'd be after. You'd be after something uh, brighter with maybe a faster response time and a better refresh rate. But as a general monitor to use to view static things like uh, websites and, and to view images and even edit video, it does offer a lot of room to move, being 32 inches that's plenty of plenty of place the space there uh, as I mentioned the viewing angle because the reason the viewing angle isn't that good is because it's not an IPS screen IPS is short for in-plane switching which means you can view it from numerous angles uh, this isn't uh, an IPS uh, panel on board here the Samsung space monitor we saw the 32 inch version there's also that's priced at $999 by the way there's also a 27 inch model that's not 4k it's full HD $799 similar specs and uh, same stand and all of those things but I've put all the specs and everything you need to know on our review at Tech Guide so if you want to check it out yeah the space monitor very versatile it's such a versatile monitor if you've got the right desk set up where you can clamp it in the back uh, it does really open up your workspace which is uh, very handy for anybody if you want to read our Samsung space monitor review you need to head over to techguide.com.au The phone brand Oppo uh, have been quite busy. Recently, they released the Reno 5G, the uh, their first 5G smartphone, a very impressive product, I have to say. Uh, but it's, it's priced at $1,500. But if uh, that's not quite your price range, if you want something a little cheaper, Oppo has some good news. They've re- released the mid-tier Reno Z smartphone that's only $499. And the even better news is that it's offering a lot of those innovative features, those top-shelf features that you'd find on the more expensive phones right here on this mid-tier model. It's got a 6.4-inch AMOLED display with a screen-to-body ratio of 92%. Very impressive. There's a tiny little teardrop notch where the front camera uh, peeks out. There's also an in-screen fingerprint reader 
I think this is the cheapest phone I've ever seen that has an in-screen fingerprint reader, which is quite impressive. Now, on board, on the camera side, you've got a 48-megapixel rear camera with ultra-night mode 2.0, so it takes really good nighttime images, but 48-megapixel uh, on, on the back camera there. Uh, it also has an AI chip, so it can uh, re- use all the noise reduction algorithms and intelligently recognise all the different scenes and stuff and, and give you the best possible modes to get the best results. can also shoot 4K video as well, a 499 camera uh, phone that can shoot 4K video. That's pretty cool, but if you love taking your selfies, there's a 32 megapixel ultra high definition front camera as well. It also has a selfie optimization algorithm. So this really takes your selfies and makes them even better. Can also deal with have you remember have you ever taken images where there's a strong light behind you? So a strong backlight tends to sort of the the screen the background's bright and you're like in shadow in the front of the picture. This has a, an algorithm that can improve those backlit images and, prove, uh, and produce some pretty impressive results. Also has impre- impressive credentials under the hood too, 128 gig of internal memory, 8 gig of RAM, and it's running Android 9.0. It's also running its own user interface, which is Color OS 6, uh, and that also has numerous features. And if you're into gaming, there's Game Boost 2.0, which is smart enough to optim- optimize your latency and improve the refresh rate to give you the, a better mobile gaming experience. They've thought of everything, Oppo. Even on the audio side, you even got Dolby Atmos. So you're getting cinema quality sound right there on the phone. That is pretty cool. And when it's time to recharge the battery, the battery's 4,035 milliamp hour capacity. It's also got the VOOC 3.0 fast charging as well. So if you're running low on battery, it can charge it up pretty fast. The Oppo Reno Z, or Z, however you want to say it, is available in Aurora Purple and Jet Black. It's on sale right now from JB Hi-Fi, Officeworks, The Good Guys, and Mobile City, and it is priced at $499. If you want to check it out, it's a pretty attractive-looking phone. Make sure you head over to techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly supported by Norton. That's the company that can protect you and your family online. We live in a world where hackers are constantly finding new ways to steal your personal information. And because we spend so much time online, it's quite possible we could find ourselves in a cyber criminal's sights. The Norton team is dedicated to keeping people safe online no matter how they connect. So whether you're paying bills on your phone, shopping on your tablet or banking on your laptop, Norton Security Premium is working hard behind the scenes to help keep you and your information, your identity and your devices protected. For more information on how to protect your digital life, visit au.norton.com. And now, answering all your tech questions, the Tech Guide Help Desk. Alrighty, on the Tech Guide Help Desk this week, a couple of questions we, we've, uh, we're going to answer here. One was, we had a, an email from a reader wanting to buy a device that will warn them about school zones. And the probably the first thing people are going to think about here is a GPS device. 
which uh, some do, not all of them do. What we've found, though, is a, a dash cam is probably your better option. A dash cam has a rear screen that often shows the speed limit of that area. It also gives you red light and uh, speed camera warnings, but is also tuned in to where the school zones are because there is GPS on board a dash cam because if anything happens, it can provide not only the video of what happened but also a GPS location of what happened as well. So uh, that is probably my best advice rather than this, this person said they have a GPS built into their car already. So rather than having a second GPS device, a dash cam will do, do, that, uh, do that job for you. I remember we reviewed on Tech Guide the, the laser navigator um, uh, dash cams as well that they they include the the school zone recognition as well. Now, the other question we had was from a reader who has a very old TV. They said there's a, they've got a plasma TV that's probably about 10 years old, and they've moved into a place where there's a window behind the TV, or a wall, they said, a glass wall behind the TV, and it is uh, just really, really bad reflections. Now, short of having to put a curtain up where the TV is, they said they were interested in purchasing a new TV, uh, and my suggestion was that all the modern smart TVs do have these filters to knock down reflection. In fact, the Samsung QLED TVs have a special anti-glare filter so that it, it knocks down the reflections even further. But it's a good bet that any modern smart TV, whether it's a Hisense, a Sony, a Panasonic, an LG or a Samsung, will have these filters already built in, and we've spoken about all of them at TechGuide. .com.au And that's all we've got for you for this week. Everything we've talked about on the show, you can find at techguide.com.au. And if you want to get in touch, hit record on Tech Guide and record your question through VoiceBite. That's an app that I co-created. And you'll hear your voice on the Tech Guide podcast and my answer to your question straight after it. Uh, if you want to hit us up on email, you can do that as well, info at techguide.com.au. We want to give a special thanks to our sponsors, Netgear, the brand you can trust for all your Wi-Fi needs, and also Norton, the company that can keep you and your family safe online. Thank you for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week. So until then, stay safe and stay connected.